Hello everyone. Welcome to our podcast, The Residency Match Winners, a collection of IMG stories. I have the extreme pleasure of having with me Medhat Farwati, who is currently a PGY3 internal medicine resident with me here at the Cleveland Clinic. And I consider myself extremely fortunate to be starting the cardiovascular medicine fellowship journey alongside uh, Medhat. Uh, thank you so much, Medhat, for your time. And I'm really, I feel really privileged to have you here with me. Thank you, Agam. The privilege is all mine. I'm so, so thrilled that we'll be starting this fellowship journey at the Cleveland Clinic together. And welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening. So, uh, Medhat, tell me, when did you decide um, that you wanted to do USMLE? So, as I was started, starting medical school, uh, I knew deep down that most likely I'm going to be seeking a specialization abroad. And few options were either Germany or the United States. Uh, the United States was always the better option uh, in my mind. However, it was always also the most difficult. Uh, there's always like visas difficulties and uh, the pathway is not as clear. The German pathway is also a little bit uh, tricky as well. So I knew early on that I needed to work on these uh, frontiers uh, a little bit early. So I would say maybe fourth year of medical school. And in Syria, we do six years. So during the fourth or fifth year of medical school, when I actually knew that I will be, um, you know, pursuing that pathway, um, and I decided to study for USMLE. Uh, Medhat is from the University of Aleppo uh, Medical School in Syria. And so after you decided, walk us through what your step preparation was and uh, you know, your journey to the United States. Of course. So after I made that decision, first of all, I needed to clear a few steps. So the first step was for me to have a plan B because knowing that coming to the United States is, is a dream for me, but it's difficult and there is a chance it might not happen. So that meant that I needed to have plan A and B and even C just in case I didn't end up in the United States. So first of all, I needed to really study well in medical school in case I ended up doing my residency there. So uh, I was fortunate to be in good ranking in, um, in my medical school. So that's that's the first portion of my plan. The second portion was actually to study German language and take German classes. And I took actually two uh, certificates in German language and I was ready to go there in case my plans for coming to the United States did, did not come true. So that was complete. After these two portions were, were complete, then I switched my focus to study uh, for the USMLE steps. Um, so I started my preparation by working on my English. Uh, back home in Syria, we study in Arabic. So I, I started by really learning as much English as possible. And then using the resources that most people who are you know, you know, preparing for step one use, like Kaplan and first aid, U-World and all these things. However, to be honest with you, I didn't really struggle mainly with the material. But it was just the circumstances under which I was doing this preparation is, was the main challenge. Unfortunately, my, my home country um, in Syria, especially my city Aleppo, was at the time during um, an enormous uh, stress um, in terms of uh, war and, and violence. And the resources were, were very limited um, on so many levels. Um, so that, that meant that my preparation needed to be a little bit more uh, different than what a, a typical student would, would do for a step one. So, um, you know, I there was a shortage in terms of electricity and um, and water and internet and resources like that. So I that meant that I 
I would, you know, study at a certain time during the day where the electricity is there. I would really tactically and strategically manage the battery of my phone, for example, to use it later at night to be able to to use the, you know, flashlight on the phone to, to study the Kaplan books, uh, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, that came with, with um, a whole set of challenges that, um, you know, looking back, I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to overcome it. Um, definitely, it wasn't easy, but I'm glad that it worked out. So those are some some highlights of the things that were going on at the time. Uh, for the people who are listening, he's being extremely humble, and uh, it's his story is actually one of the most inspirational stories I've ever heard. And uh, uh, can you tell us about one of the instances, you know, as to um, during your preparation for your step one, one of the instances, uh, you know, so that the people who are listening they can be inspired by what all you went through and still you have overcome that and uh, reached to the point where many many people dream of. Thank you very much for your kind words uh, and for finding my story interesting. Uh, I think one, one of the times that I remember uh, distinctly, for example, is when I was preparing for biochemistry and uh, the Kaplan biochemistry book, I still remember, it has these flashy uh, papers that reflects light so because there is no electricity, all the lights that I had at the time was literally my, uh, my phone um, and my, some, some chargeable uh, flashlights that were available. And those lights reflect on the paper. So whenever I used it, I literally can't see and can't, can't study the book. So I ended up going back to the library like a week later after trying so many times. I was like, can you please just change it to the less fancy uh, paper so that the paper that doesn't reflect actually the, the phone, uh, phone light so that I can... I can't study it. So I still remember these things and I reflect on these things and how, you know, uh, like nowadays when I'm uh, being a little bit more lazy and I'm not in, in the mood to study, I remember like where where I was and uh, how things were. And uh, I think uh, also a lot of us maybe can reflect on that as well. Like a lot of people maybe uh, in the same situation where they have some limited resources. I just want to say that things change and things improve and yeah, keep doing the, the right things and hopefully things will become better. And uh, so when did you take your step one? So I took my step one um, after graduation um, in 2016. 2016, okay. And uh, what, what, what was your step one score? Do you mind sharing that? Yeah, yeah. So I was very fortunate to have a, a good score. Uh, I got 276. That's that's impressive. One of the highest scores I've ever heard. Actually, the highest score I've ever heard. And um, so what was your reaction when you heard this score? You know, when you got to know about this score? Yeah, uh, that was a very good day uh, for me. Yeah, I was waiting for the score anxiously. I knew it's, 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 it comes out on a Wednesday. I still distinctively remember it. And I was at home with my uh, family in Turkey uh, at the time. Yeah, and when I saw the score, I actually first, I didn't believe it. I was waiting for a score maybe 250s, maybe 260s. I've, I've never kind of seen a 270 before. So when I saw it, I was, uh, first of all, let me check the numbers again, make sure <laughs> that those three digits are next to each other. And <laughs> after I kind of confirmed that my happiness like started and <laughs> it was a really good day. That's that's great. That's, that's so impressive, Madhat. And so for the individuals, you know, for the people who are listening to this podcast, aside from the resources, 
what advice do you have for them in terms of step one preparation? Of course. I think the first thing to to do and to be thinking about is actually having the intent and uh, determination to start the journey and to actually start it. So having a plan and having a plan early uh, helps you a lot along the way because, I mean, I think one thing that didn't work as well for me was that I really decided a little bit later due to a lot of things that were happening in Syria. But I think if you are really considering this decision, start early. That will help you along the way. Once you have your step one early, you can also apply for electives and apply for like uh, opportunities in the United States. And you usually take a head start and that will put you in a great position when you are applying for residency. So start very early. I think that as early as you can, you know, as early as you think that you will probably most likely end up going to the United States or pursuing that path. So early start is very important. And second is exactly what you are doing. You are now listening to other people's experiences. So keep doing that. Listen to, you are listening to my experience today. Listen to other people's experiences. And Agam is doing a great job gathering all these experiences for you. Uh, So do that because from each person's experience, you learn a trick, you learn something that will make the uh, journey easier for you. So ask people who are older for you. I think that will be my uh, my second uh, second advice. And third, be honest to yourself, be true to yourself. I mean, it's a it's a journey that's going to take time and effort and and money as well and resources. Um, just be true to yourself, and uh, when you embark on it, have in mind that these challenges will come, and you are I'm sure you will be able to overcome them as they as they come. But um, know the difficulties and be ready to also overcome them. Great. Thank you, Madad, for sharing that. So w- moving forward after you heard, you know, after you had uh, received your step one scores, what was the plan moving forward? What did you do after that and walk through the journey, walk us through the journey after that? Of course, of course. So uh, after that, actually, uh, that, that that where the tricky part came. So all the time that I was studying for step one, in my mind, it was a 50-50 uh, you know, chance. I didn't know that if I would be able to ever come to the United States. A lot of amazingly talented people from my home country, Syria, applied to the visa with great scores, and they didn't end up uh, getting the visa. So that was a challenge that, in my mind, that was always there. And I was after I took my step one, I was ready to, to face. So lucky enough, uh, as I was looking into uh, getting uh, the, the visa and getting an opportunity to come to the United States, my USMD Step 1 uh, score was published on social media. And an um, uh, amazing stroke of luck, um, it got, it's got the attention of a Mayo Clinic physician um, who offered me a research position uh, at the Mayo Clinic. And at the time, I was actually also emailing people and trying to also find a research spot, but it's this way that it happened for me that actually my score was found out by some of the doctors and uh, they sent me an offer. But that didn't, my story didn't end up there because I used that and I went to the embassy, um, at the time embassy in Sudan because there is no embassy in Syria and I needed to go somewhere. Uh, so embassy in Sudan and that was a quick rejection unfortunately because of what's going on in Syria and all these things. Um, so I was looking, that was a very low moment, obviously in my life, because I felt like I did everything I needed to do to, to be able to, you know, to to come to the States, but that didn't happen. So I was thinking for solutions and that probably one of, or two weeks where one of the, as I said, lowest moments of of my life, all this hard work is, (laughs) is not going anywhere. And I was just looking for solutions. So I Googled, 
and I found that some people actually wrote their stories to Congress, and uh, that sometimes worked, and you might get some support from some Congress people. So I actually ended up, yeah, drafting my my story uh, to to Congress, and uh, through one of my relatives here, forwarded to their Congressperson, and luckily enough, um, they you know they agreed to support to support me, and they replied positively, and they said we're going to support his his visa and his entry, and um, that was also very, uh, you know, again, another of luck in, in, in my, on my journey. Um, and they, after that, they, they sent a letter of support on my behalf to the embassy. I apply again. I go through a long administrative processing phase, a lot of waiting, but luckily enough, my visa got approved finally. And uh, this, this is how I ended uh, in the United States, and my journey at Mayo Clinic started from there. Wow. That's 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 so inspirational. So even though you mentioned, uh, you know, this was a lot of luck involved, but believe me, behind that, it was just your hard work and the amount of perseverance and sheer grit that you had that actually made this happen. Thank you. And so after you got your uh, visa approved and walk us through your research journey at the Mayo Clinic course. So after I landed at the Mayo Clinic, uh, it's, a, it's a new journey. This is the first time for me in an English-speaking country. I was still working on my English, and uh, this is actually my first job, actually, to be, to be honest with you. So there were a lot of challenges at the beginning just to get acclimated to the environment and to, to the research uh, position and the, the research uh, you know, environment in general. Um, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to work with amazing uh, mentors uh, at Mayo Clinic who supported me immensely. Uh, I was new to the research world, uh, so I had to develop and build my research skills from scratch. Uh, so that meant uh, lots of, uh, you know, lots of research and researching like the tools and uh, looking into opportunities for me to work on myself and develop my research skill set. Um, I was involved with lots of teams at the Mayo Clinic. I want to do cardiology, so that's my my main uh, research focus was also in cardiology. Um, so that was that was nice um, and helped me along the way. Uh, my first year was not paid. Um, I was a research trainee, um, and this is usually a typical pathway for uh, internationals as they come. Um, your first year is usually not not paid. You establish yourself. Um, you kind of you gain the trust of the team, and after that, uh, some funding might be available. And that's exactly what happened in my case. My second year was paid actually, um, and um, during these two years, um, I think um, I improved a lot in terms of research, and I, I, I learned a lot, and I worked with fantastic people in one of the most you know prestigious institutions uh, in the world. So that was a another dream come true. Um, so that was the research part. I think what's What's uh, what was a little bit more interesting in my case is that I needed to do also step two CK and do CS and do the other exams uh, during that time. So, uh, so you know, obviously you had been through so much, and uh, I think a lot of people, if they would be in your shoes, they might have given up. And I think this the reason I wanted to highlight Medad's journey is because I think. This is such an inspiration for all the people, uh, irrespective from where they are. Uh, and this journey, I hope that it might act as a source of inspiration uh, for those individuals who are aspiring to do 
uh, residency here in the United States. Uh, so, Medad, tell us, uh, tell us your how did you manage, um, you know, doing research along with preparing for your USMLE Step Two CK, and how did that work out? Yeah, of course. Thank you again for your kind words. Um, it was it was not easy, and it was not an ideal situation, and that's why I, if, you know, I go back to my uh, my advice earlier that to, to to start early and prepare early so that you don't end up in in this situation. So. I ended up in a situation where I nearly needed to have kind of two two jobs, basically. My research job at the Mayo Clinic and my also job at home to study and prepare for um, USMLE Step 2 CK. So it, it was not easy, but uh, I think the main thing that helped me going is uh, I really had a clear um, vision in my mind that I'm here not only to do research, but to also to, to pursue residency and pursue my dream of becoming a cardiologist here in the United States. And that, mean, that meant that I really needed to take the USMLEs and actually do well on them so that I can secure a residency position. So that vision in my mind was always was always there. So how it happened, um, it's, it took a lot of time management um, skills. Usually most of my studying would happen um, at, at the evening. After I come back from work, I take some rest and then I study for um, an hour or two. And a lot of the studying actually happens on the weekend as well. So that meant, as you can imagine, for the first year, year and a half in my journey in the U.S., most of my time was I'm either working um, at actually the, at the Mayo or back home studying. Um, so it wasn't um, necessarily an easy a year or year and a half, but I think it was worth it. And um, I'm very fortunate that it actually ended up well. And, um, and what was your step to CK score? Uh, so yeah, I, I had also a good score on CK. Uh, I was fortunate to get a 284 uh, step to CK. Yeah. That's that's impressive. 284, 276, and 284. These are definitely the highest scores I've ever heard. You know, really inspirational. Thank you. Thank so um, when you took your um, step to CK, and I believe you took your step to CS also during this while you were doing a research job exactly. at the Mayo Clinic. Exactly. Okay. And did you, aside from the research, did you do any observerships or uh, can you uh, can you walk us through about that? Yes, yes. So uh, because I came to the United States after graduation, so I could only do observerships, uh, which is mainly hands-off experiences. So I did um, a couple of observerships at uh, Houston. Um, so I did one at Baylor and I did another one um, at the private hospital uh, at the Methodist uh, so the way I knew about them is, again, back to my advice to ask your uh, the people who did the, the journey in front of you. And a lot of my uh, older colleagues helped me to uh, find the right people to get these, these opportunities. And I did another observership actually here at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, and that was more of a, an observership actually during the match. Um, and I looked up at the website and I found, I emailed people and I was able to, to secure it. Uh, here, and I try to do it during the match time so that I can get more uh, face time with the people in the program, getting to know the program more, and also the program knows me more. And it actually worked up really nicely, um, and I ended up matching in the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, the other thing that I want to ask Medhat is, uh, usually this is one of the questions which a lot of applicants ask, is how to make the best use of an observership, given that you don't have a lot of, uh, you know, you proactively cannot do a lot of things and you are restricted 
when you're doing an observership. So how what all advice do you have for the applicants as to how they can best utilize the observerships that they have received? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, as you mentioned, I mean, you are not uh, directly um, doing clinical work uh, in the normal sense. However, there are a lot of opportunities for you to show interest and to actually shine while you're doing an observership. Uh, I think to start with the usual stuff, be, be, be professional, come early, um, leave late, uh, be always available, uh, ask questions, um, show interest. Whenever you have a chance to uh, take on a task, don't shy away from work. Go and be engaged and be involved and try to be as helpful to the team as possible. One another uh, another thing that you can do is uh, try to ask to present and do presentations. Prepare a topic and come and kind of educate the team and teach the team team on it. For example, I for, for me, during a week, I presented three or four times. So that means almost every day I would prepare a topic back at home and then I Next day, I would teach it to the group and uh, we'll discuss it. So that all shows shows interest. Um, I remember, for example, when I was doing an observership in a clinic, I would stay late at night and, uh, you know, read the nuclear studies with the cardiology attending, even though after five or six. So there's always ways to show interest. And believe me, people notice and remember, and that reflects on your letter and reflects also on the level of support you get from them when the time comes for you to apply to residency. Thank you so much for sharing that, Nahat. So after you got done with the research job at Mayo Clinic, did you ever go back home uh, to Syria or were you always here in the United States? Yeah, uh, for me, I've been always here in the United States. Um, and this is mainly because of visa difficulties. I mean, there was a you know, travel ban at, at one point um, uh, imposed on Syrians. And the situation in Syria in general... Um, it's not as easy for us to go back home. So, um, unfortunately, I mean, since I left the, the, the country, I, I've never gone back. And this is hopefully in the coming uh, few months or maybe a year or two. I'm, this is on the top of my list to be able to see my family again and uh, to reunite with them and uh, celebrate with them. But along the way, I mean, uh, thankfully, with the all advance, advancements in technology, um, I try to FaceTime um, almost daily uh, with them and stay in touch and make them also feel um, how how it feels to be here working in the U.S. And, and both my 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 parents are physicians, so so they are in the in the loop, uh, you know, uh, in a way or another. But I try to keep them involved, and uh, yeah, family is very important, and hopefully I'll be able to see them soon. Uh, I'm sure that'll work out well, and um, your parents are definitely proud, and everyone is really proud of what you have achieved Thank you. so after you got done with the um, research job at the Mayo Clinic walk us through your application process as to how you applied for the residency and uh, um, you know just give us some instances of what happened during the process of application of residency and what advice do you have for the applicants of course of course so um as an international, uh, you know, the match is uh, is, uh, is not always the most straightforward and you really need to be prepared for a lot of scenarios um, and to, um, you know, play your cards right uh, in a sense. So for me, that especially on a visa as well. So for me, that meant to apply to 
uh, a lot of programs. Um, so I applied to around 150 programs uh, in general. And I chose those based on uh, the, them sponsoring visas, uh, their reputation, um, and me knowing some people also in, the, in that program as well. Uh, and I ended up compiling a list of around 150 uh, programs. So that was the, the first step, just knowing to the, the programs you're going to apply to. Uh, after that, after you send your application, um, it's going to be a waiting game, so you wait for the interviews to come. Um, and then um, I think some, it's kind of a controversial thing, but I think maybe um, one-time email of interest to really certain programs mm-hmm. that are that's really individualized, I think it might be helpful to kind of um, help them see your uh, your application among probably hundreds, maybe thousands of, of application that any any program might get. So I did also that for um, a selected handful of programs that I was really interested in. Um, again, another thing for me was doing observership at the Cleveland Clinic, and the Cleveland Clinic was one of the, my top choices. So I really wanted to enhance my 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 opportunity there. So I tried to do some some clinical time there um, in uh, October or November. And that that helped me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was the, the main uh, application uh, process. And the other thing that I want to ask you, Medhat, is regarding the post-interview communication. So after you interviewed, a, I'm sure you interviewed a ton of places, but after you interviewed at those programs, what was your strategy of doing post-interview communication? Of course. I think the first uh, important thing to, to know and to pay attention to is the program policy. So pay attention to what they tell you. Uh, some programs have really strict policies in terms of um, really no post-interview communication. So I would absolutely um, respect that and adhere to those guidelines if such guidelines were provided to you. But most programs would not mind actually you post-communicating, post-interview uh, communicating with them. Um, so a thank you email is, I don't think it, it hurts at all. Uh, especially if it's a it's a personalized, individualized thank you email um, for someone who took some time of their day to interview you. I think it's a it's a nice gesture. So I did do that actually. Um, so I I think that's that's something that mm-hmm. I don't think any harm might come from that. Yeah. Um, and when when the time comes for the match and you know ranking list and all these things, again, um, just be honest and. Uh, uh, make sure that you adhere to the policies and guidelines that the programs provided to you. Um, but a, a, an email that's showing a sincere interest where you are actually honest and uh, truthful with them, I think also doesn't hurt. And uh, now one of the last questions that I have for you, Medhat, is um, explain your feelings and explain what we what were you doing when you uh, you know opened your NRMP that you have matched at the Cleveland Clinic. So walk us through that. So <laughs> on that day, that was noon, actually, and it was in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, I couldn't sleep the, the day before, so I, I stayed up all, all night just waiting for, for that email. And when I first opened it, uh, again, it's the way it's worded, it was uh, like, uh, I just want to confirm that, that what I read, Cleveland Clinic Foundation, 
uh, is the right program because the foundation part was not known to me. I was expecting just to hear like Cleveland Clinic and that's it. So that was a little bit funny on my part. But uh, then I was like, Cleveland Clinic Foundation, let me just confirm that this is Cleveland Clinic. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, again, after I confirmed, uh, yeah, I was above the moon. I called my parents, like video called them right away and I just told them. and um, I was really, really happy uh, to match there. Uh, it's a dream come true. A lot of, you know, parts of my journey just uh, has a lot of flashbacks and, uh, you know, all these steps that uh, you've been through and then you end up in a in a dream place. Uh, I think it's a, it's a huge moment. I was very happy. If you were to give or if you were to give an advice to a applicant version of Medhat, what would that be? Of course. So... As far as um, residency application, again, I think the biggest thing is try to plan ahead and plan early. I always say in my mind, I think the three biggest steps to success is having a plan, uh, having a vision, and putting the work to achieve this this plan and, and, and this vision. So I think as long as you are planning early and you are uh, willing to put the work and all this planning and work goes to a bigger vision, I think you will you'll really do good things, uh, good things in life and more specifically as a, as a residency applicant. So uh, I think that the main thing is to try to, to plan ahead and plan early. Second of all, I think, again, is try to learn from the experiences of others. Those are all great experiences. We all make mistakes. And really, you don't need to make uh, a mistake that someone else made and uh, shared for you the solution for, right? So try to uh, take advantage of that and uh, try to, you know, make your journey uh, more straightforward. Uh, and third of all, also, don't, I mean, be honest to yourself, try to um, really be mentally prepared that some challenges will come, you know, and you will face lots of things. Uh, during this long pathway. Uh, and you, as long as you have this mental preparedness and you have this determination uh, and dedication, you'll be able to overcome them. A lot of people did, and a lot more people will do in the future. And no matter what you are actually facing now, make sure that most likely someone else is also facing that, someone else is also working on overcome this, overcoming this challenge. Um, so try not to quit. <laughs> Because it's worth it. At the at the end of it, it's at the end of the journey. Uh, it's it's gonna be worth it, and you're gonna remember these moments and uh, be very happy that you actually persevered and persisted.